Coffee House Shots is sponsored by NatWest, the bank that's helping small businesses build back better and greener. The transition to net zero could create 130,000 new jobs for small and medium-sized businesses. That's why NatWest is aiming to lend $100 billion in sustainable financing by 2025. Find out more about climate support for businesses at natwest.com slash climate. Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Isabel Harmon and I'm joined by Katie Balls and the New Statesman's Stephen Bush. Well, the North Shropshire by-election to replace Conservative MP Owen Patterson takes place this coming week. Katie, how are things looking in what has been a safe Conservative seat with a big majority? Uphill, I think is a kind way of looking at it for the Tory party. I think that if we go back in time a few weeks to the initial Boris Johnson debacle of the past month it was the Owen Patterson sleaze route after the standards commissioner suggested that Owen Patterson needed to be suspended for a breach of lobbying rules Downing Street and Patterson decided they didn't want to do that there was an attempt to spare from from this it backfired spectacularly Owen Patterson chose to quit the commons and they did not reform the commissioner in any way and therefore we have a situation where there is a by-election in North Shropshire now that by-election when it was initially enacted I think saw quite a few people I think myself included point out this is a safe seat this is over 20,000 majority in 2019 and ultimately suggesting that Patterson should have perhaps just taken that suspension because even if there was a recall petition which is something they were worried about and then there was a vote in that seat it looked pretty easy to hold but since then I think there's a few factors at play which means the Tories are now worried about this by-election First, the circumstances. It comes after a difficult period for the Tory party. What they did to try and get away from the suspension has had ramifications both in terms of the parliamentary party and the perception of the Tory party. It's been accompanied by several difficult weeks of coverage. This week it's all been about Downing Street parties, the flat refurbishment again. So they're not the ideal circumstances going into that vote. And then I think finally when it comes to the seat itself... Even though it is on paper a safe seat, Tories are nervous about it. And I think because it's seen as a safe seat, there is less data on North Shropshire than they would have on more marginal seats. And doing the canvassing in a very rural seat, Tories have been despondent quite early on, I would say, from you know a week and a half. I think I wrote on Coffee House that they're a bit worried about this. And you have to add all your caveats in because there's always a reason for the Tories to say they're worried about it, to try and encourage their voters to get out and vote. And obviously for the Liberal Democrats, who are seen as the most likely opponents in that seat, they want to say, well, we're getting lots of support. So don't even think about giving your votes to Labour or the Greens. We're the only option outside the Tories. But I think speaking to both sides, you are hearing that lots of things are coming up on the doorstep, which are difficult for the Tories. And they are comparing it to Chesham Amersham, which was a seat which, again, looked pretty safe for the Tories. But the Liberal Democrats managed to overturn a majority of 16,000. Stephen, how are Labour feeling about their prospects? They must be quite anxious that there is going to end up being a split in the anti-Tory vote between them and Lib Dems. Well, it sort of depends on who you talk to, right? And in some ways, the North Shropshire by-election within Labour has become a kind of proxy for their kind of bigger debate about how they should relate to and work with the Liberal Democrats. Because essentially, when it became clear that there were going to be by-elections in two, yeah, in, in both 
Old Blacks in Sidcup and in North Shropshire, right, who essentially, if you wanted to invent the most demographically safe conservative seats you could in an urban and a rural setting, those are basically the ones you would have. Loads of leave voters, loads of homeowners, very few graduates. So essentially as close to the dream conservative electorate as possible. And they essentially went, okay, the Lib Dems are going to stay out of Old Bexley and Sidcup and the Labour Party is effectively going to stay out of North Shropshire, despite the fact that, I mean, there has never really been a particularly effective anti-conservative challenger in North Shropshire. Labour was second last time and the time before that, but a very distant second. Before that, the Lib Dems were very distant second. So neither party has ever really showed there. But what started to happen, interestingly, over the last week is bits of the Labour Party... And this is very much not a left-right thing. This is, you know, kind of every bit of the Labour Party is split on on how they should relate to or rather not relate to the Liberal Democrats. You have some people going, yeah, we were second last time. We should be making more effort there. We should be making more noise there. And essentially, there is going to be, I think, a big sort of, I'm not a big row, you know, but by the standards of the Labour Party, a small row. But, you know, by the standards of most parties, I think there will be a big row afterwards regardless. Some people going... Why did we have this slightly ridiculous argument about whether or not people should just vote tactically Lib Dem? Why didn't we work it harder, etc., etc.? But I think the fact that the Lib Dems are the ones working it hardest, but it is not clear that the Lib Dems actually are necessarily the best placed there, means it probably will be a slightly messier by-election than old Bexley, where, yes, the Conservatives won the seat, but there was this astonishingly efficient collapse of the Lib Dem vote and the Green vote. And the thing which I think would really terrify me if I were Conservative MP is not actually so much who wins this seat, but do we once again see this very efficient let's all gang up on the blues effect? Because that, of course, is the thing which would be a problem in a general election. And Katie, what are the messages that each of the parties are using? I mean, what are the Conservatives trying to say to their voters? So when it comes to the messages in this by-election, I mean, the Lib Dems have been pouring a lot of resource into this and when it comes to their candidate I think that it's someone who is from the area they are local and they're saying you know Helen Morgan as a candidate is fighting for NHS and they are focusing on local issues regarding NHS they're also trying to attack the Tories so one they put out this week in light of the number 10 party row was a flyer which said you know how she spent last Christmas and it's an old lady appearing to cry and how Boris spent last Christmas and that is um, Boris photoshopped with lots of you know people drinking behind him so you know this Christmas tell them the party's over I think for the Tories the general message they are pushing when it comes to these things is, you know, we delivered Brexit, we have had a successful vaccine rollout, we're focusing on the people's priorities, stick with us. But I think one of the problems they are having when it comes to this by-election is their candidate isn't from the area. The candidate has been brought in and that has seen, I think... Lots of people questioning whether they are the right person. I think they spent some time trying to settle into it. And I think that has undermined it slightly. So when you talk to people about what's going right or wrong, I think people are saying that is um, holding their candidate back to a degree. Yeah, plus there's the kind of traditional, like, antisocial behaviour, you know, digging up the Owen Paterson vote. I think the interesting thing, particularly about the candidate, is this is someone who on paper is sort of the ideal Conservative candidate. They used to be a soldier... They're a successful businessman. They're from Birmingham. But, look, we all know the Lib Dems are like masters of of by-election combat, right? But he's Asian. And I don't think... Yeah, the Lib Dems love to do the like, you know, their candidate isn't, you know, wasn't born exactly two metres from this rock. But it does, I think, all kind of 
have a slight a message that makes conservatives nervous, not least because when you talk to lots of ethnic minority conservatives who fought the Lib Dems, they feel like, oh, they always do the local card and it's dodgy and it's a bit of a dog whistle. I think the interesting thing will be if the conservatives lose it, which I'm afraid I still don't believe will happen, I think it will probably make people more nervous about the thing that has sort of really powered the rise of greater diversity in the Conservative Party. And one of the reasons why they've overtaken Labour on that metric is their willingness to select ethnic minority candidates in very, very white constituencies, something the Labour Party has only done, I think maybe three Labour ethnic minority MPs are in majority, majority constituencies. So it's an interesting one. But yeah, I'm afraid I just still, I still just don't believe that the Lib Dems are going to win a seat which is so demographically pro-Tory. Yeah, and I think also they don't have to win it to learn some interesting things from it. So, you know, I think even as one Lib Dem said to me, like, were the Lib Dems to win the seat, it would really be one of the biggest by-election shocks and wins yeah. in history. It it's be very unprecedented. And also, the Tories actually, in a way, have managed to lower expectations so much that you can imagine a scenario where a huge majority is reduced to 1,200 and we're like... God, Boris has still got it. And it becomes a story about the fight back from Downing Street. So I guess we do, as Stephen said, have to put things in perspective. I think speaking to Tory MPs and also Lib Dems who've been up there, one of the things at least a week ago that is not Tory sleaze that is coming up on the doorstep. I think the party does appear to be having some cut free this week. But as of last week, when it was more Owen Patterson related, that was very rarely both sides were saying something that people people were saying was a the reason they were going to vote either way. But Peppa Pig, that speech Boris Johnson gave to the CBI, that's been coming up a lot more. And when I mentioned that to some Tory aides, they said that doesn't surprise them because I think when the Tories are doing internal polling and these focus groups, it does feel as though that rambling speech the Prime Minister gave where he started talking about Peppa Pig world and he was addressing business leaders has made quite an impression on people. Yeah, I sat in on a focus group for more in common yesterday and I was surprised at how much because I'd heard it's one of those things where yeah maybe I'm overly cynical but when a party says oh we're struggling in a constituency and this is coming up in our focus groups I'm just like okay yeah sure and the three beds I was actually really surprised at how much yeah people really didn't like that he seemed so disorganized in front of business leaders they basically kind of felt okay you know it's fine when he does a bit of a joke at conservative conference but like this is the kind of meeting where, you know, he should be, you know, putting on his best suit and tie and putting Britain's best foot forward. And to me, the most interesting thing about the party was the number of them who thought that they'd had cheese and champagne at the party rather than cheese and wine. It's like, and obviously, what is that long running and, you know, perfectly understandable anxiety that the Cameroons had about how the party was perceived was poshness to the extent they banned champagne, like in the run up to the 2010 election. And I just, I do think that the party... I think there's a real class element to how people are reacting to the party. They feel like it's the kind of thing posh people do and posh people get away with. And that just speaks to the sort of the big thing that Boris and Cameron in very different ways have managed to transcend is their class background. And I think then the danger of the party that I hadn't appreciated until sitting in this focus group is it like it's made Boris posh again. Well, obviously, we're on a spectator podcast and we have absolutely no anxiety about champagne and there will never be a champagne ban at this fine institution. But Katie, Stephen says he thinks a Tory loss is unlikely. But in the unlikely event of a Tory loss next week, what will happen? Will the party go into meltdown? Is that curtains for Boris? (laughs) 
I mean, you never want to predict too closely to events, do you, Isabel, just <laughs> in case you're completely wrong. I think it's fair to say that if they actually did lose North Shropshire to Liberal Democrats, for the reasons that Stephen has outlined, it would be a very big deal. And it would really spell trouble and raise an alarm because this isn't, a, you know, even a Lib Dem Tory seat they're a bit worried about the next election. It's something where you, where you shouldn't even be talking about the Lib Dems making inroads. So if North Shropshire goes yellow... That suggests all the all the MPs who are worried about the Lib Dems for good reasons, such as perhaps people like Dominic Raab, they're going to start to panic. And then I think you're also going to see a wider, it won't be just confined to that group, it will stretch because everyone will think, well, my majority I thought was quite comfortable, but according to this, what's more the negative headlines aren't going anywhere anytime soon. As we've been discussing all week, you know, Boris Johnson's problems are piling up. They're not, the party issue hasn't gone away. There's an investigation he's doing, but there's more questions about other events. The flat refurbishment hasn't gone away. The Prime Minister is being accused of misleading his own standards advisor on that. And we need to see what the ramifications of that are going to be. And he's also got a vote next week on restrictions that a large number of his own MPs find really unbearable and plan to rebel on and also teach him a lesson so I think if you put all those things together I actually think it's not even the Lib Dems winning is the most explosive the Lib Dems winning is the most explosive option I also think if they manage to whittle that down quite heavily that's also going to sound alarm because it still says if you're in a tighter seat you're in trouble and I think probably where the Tories are finding the most optimism when it comes to this is how does the vote split because initially Labour did not appear from the Lib Dem and the Tories but should be campaigning very hard in that seat even though if you look at the 2019 result they were the second party so it wasn't as clear cut as to say the hope was you know people wouldn't know which party to vote for to protest against the Tories the Lib Dems thought they'd land the message that they are the other one but in recent days Labour have been campaigning more up there and I think that's partly because a party can campaign more lightly, but you can't stand down in a seat and they're facing criticism. And therefore you could have a situation, I think this is now the best hope in CCHQ, by which the Tory vote share falls, but the anti-Tory vote is split between Labour and the Lib Dems and you end up in a situation where it means that they just cannot actually, you know, get enough momentum to actually overtake the Tories. Stephen. Yeah, there's, there's actually a really interesting historical parallel in Ed Davies' first ever political campaign. So in 1987, there was a grassroots campaign called Tactical Votes 87. They obviously didn't spend a great deal of time thinking up a particularly smart or original name. But they did have some success in getting liberal voters, or, well, SDP Liberal Alliance voters, to vote tactically for the Labour Party. Right? That's why Andrew Smith, the MP for Oxford East, which is now Annalise Dodds, the Shadow Secretary of State for Women and Equalities, yeah, it was what is now her seat. However, what they failed to do is get Labour voters to vote anywhere near... They, there was a bit of tactical voting in Oxford West, the seat of, was it been John Biffen, the then Higher Education Minister? So partly, of course, he was very resonant because he was one of the people first bringing in top-up fees. They weren't able to get Labour voters to vote as tactically as they were able to get Lib Dem voters. And in some ways, the big test of these two by-elections, in what is a very safe laboratory for both parties, because Labour were never going to win Old Bexley and Sid Cup, the Lib Dems really should not. Katie's exactly right. It's the kind of thing, if it happens, it is such a worrying sign. 
But I think the interesting thing is, is I suspect that that lesson of 1987 will still be true. It is much easier to get Lib Dem voters to vote tactically for a whole bunch of reasons, right? You know, they tend to follow politics more closely. They tend to be more politically engaged, more educated, et cetera, et cetera, than it is to get Labour voters to vote tactically in reverse, particularly in seats where if you went on the Wikipedia page and went, how do I vote tactically here? You'd go, oh, the Labour Party. And I suspect that will be the thing that in the end, well, that and the fact it is, you know, a really safe seat will be one of the things that gives them cause for relief on the day in CCHQ. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you for listening. And you can, of course, follow all the coverage of the North Shropshire campaign, the result and whatever fallout there is on Coffee House. Coffee House.